Um, what are we doing today? Today is the last message I will preach um, for, the, for the year. And initially I titled the worship last time. Because when you make a playlist, you're just trying to hurry up. And so it just said last time. And then I thought, well, if I post that, people are going to think that's the last time I'm ever going to preach. And I don't want to have to deal with all those questions. And so I won't call it that. So then I changed it to the, the, the title of um, the message, which the title of the message is The, the Sufferings of Christ. Um, we don't really like that word, suffering. In fact, everything we do is try to avoid suffering. Um, and that, that creates a, an interesting uh, issue um, because it's actually in fellowshipping with the sufferings of Christ that you partake of life, which seems like a contradiction to us. right? We see the suffering of Jesus on the cross, and we want to be as far away from that as possible. Because we only look at it carnally, according to like physical discomfort. And we tend to only define the sufferings of Jesus as physical discomfort. But that's not what the scriptures are talking about when it talks about the sufferings of Jesus. It's not just talking about physical discomfort. It's talking about something else that's going on there. And we're supposed to be drawn into what's going on there and gazing upon it. Because in partaking with him in his sufferings, that's the foundation from where we also start partaking with him in his life. Right? So we'll just pray real quick. Father, you can see that we have an aversion to the word sufferings. Or you could see that um, because we desire life, we reject anything that we think is in the way of us having life. I thank you, Lord, that um, the word suffering can be cleansed in our hearts. And we can begin to see the power um, that's found in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Just thank you, Lord, that you can just draw us in to the heart of Jesus as he was on the cross, Lord, that in us having fellowship with him in his death, we can find ourselves being made conformable to his death, Lord, and we can find ourselves being intimate with the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so like I said, this is the final message I'm going to preach this year. And as I was thinking about, you know, what to say, I, um, there's always so many things to say, but I began thinking about a question I pose to everybody much earlier in the year. And I thought that I would finish my year off by bringing that question up again. And, and some of you might remember the question, but the question I posed to everybody, and I'm sorry that I make you guys think. I really am. I, I just have to be honest, though, one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is people stop thinking about what's being said and what's actually in the Scriptures Right? We just become like zombies putting in our time and become uncomfortable to have to think and scrutinize and wonder. And I almost think that's one of the most powerful things God brings forth in me is that He forces you all to think about things you think are already settled and forces you to think about things and consider them. But the question I posed to everybody was if Jesus didn't come into the world to save the world from their sin, if Jesus didn't come into the world as Messiah, if He didn't come into the world as the Anointed One, if He didn't come in having authority over all flesh, if He came only as an individual, as the Son of Man, if He, he came only in that regard, that it wasn't about saving the whole world from their sin, the question I posed was, would He still have ended up on the cross? And the reason why I, I, it wasn't just a silly question I'm trying to ask people. I'm not just trying to play with words. Let's have some fun. Let's mess up their thinking. That's not why I'm asking the question. I'm asking the question because we tend to get lost in our thoughts about Jesus as the Messiah. We get lost in our thoughts about Jesus coming to save the world. And then all of our thoughts about the cross become centered around somebody we're not ident identifying with. I don't know if you guys realize it, you're not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I don't have authority over all flesh. You don't have authority over all flesh. I mean, do we all agree about that? But if that's the context or the narrative 
that we're only looking at the cross from, it becomes very difficult for us to identify with that dude when he's on the cross. And so I pose the question to try to help lead you guys to the place where you would start considering what is it that led this guy to the cross? Not as a Messiah, but as someone like you and me. So that we could be led to the place where we could start considering what was in his heart. Because there was a wisdom in his heart that led him to the cross. There was a wisdom in his heart that kept him on the cross. There was a wisdom working inside of him as he was suffering on the cross. And that wisdom is the wisdom that actually caused him to be intimate with the power of the resurrection. And the way we're going to be intimate with the power of the resurrection is if we now see what was going on in him that led him to the cross. And I wanted people to connect with that wisdom that was in him. Because I wanted people to grow in wisdom and stature. And not just in wisdom and stature, according to what it means to be human. It says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And do you know what that means? Jesus grew in his intimacy with the life that man was experiencing. Because he never knew no death. He is life. And so he grew in his intimacy with the things that man was experiencing in this world. But he also grew in his intimacy with the life of God dwelling in perishable flesh. And so he grew in wisdom and stature. And that wisdom that he grew in is what caused him to have intimacy with the power of the resurrection. And that wisdom is what was in his heart that actually led him to the cross and that actually kept him on the cross. And I wanted all of you guys to now have your intimacy with the same wisdom that was in him that led him to the cross, that kept him on the cross. Because that's the thing that will produce life in you. And that's what I was trying to ask you. That was the whole point of the question. Would he have ended up on the cross still, and why? And I think most people will even become confused by the question, or they'll end up thinking, no, why would he go to the cross then? Which reveals the whole point of why you asked the question. Because now you're not even identifying with the cross and the power the cross has in your life. You're missing out on the whole thing. So there's something that led Jesus to the cross. Jesus, the Son of Man. There's something that led him to the cross. I'll answer the question for you. Yes, he would have ended up on the cross. Even if he didn't come into the earth to save the world, he still would have ended up on the cross. And so why? Why would he have ended up on the cross? That's the part we want to have intimacy with. That's why I asked the question, why would this guy still have ended up on the cross? What was going on in him? So there's something that led Jesus to the cross and that caused him to endure the suffering. You know, to endure the suffering means that you don't try to save yourself from it. That's what it means to endure the suffering. So there's something that caused him to do that. I mean, you guys realize he could have tried to avoid the suffering, right? He could have tried to avoid the suffering, but he didn't. Why? Why didn't he? And remember, we're talking about Jesus as the Son of Man. We're not talking about as Messiah. Because see, the moment I ask that question, if you're only thinking of Jesus as Messiah, which nobody get confused, of course Jesus is the Messiah. But you ain't the Messiah, and so you need to connect with what was in his heart as the Son of Man because you're the Son of Man. He could have tried to avoid the suffering, but he didn't. What was going on in him that he didn't? And so if you come and say, well, he was the Messiah. He had to save the world. No, we're removing that so we could see the multifaceted picture of Jesus as the Son of Man. I mean, Satan came and offered him all the kingdoms of the world. You guys remember that? You know, if he would have taken all the kingdoms of the world, he wouldn't have been crucified. He would have been the king. So he could have taken all the kingdoms of the world, and then that would have prevented his suffering. He wouldn't have been crucified anymore. He's the king. He's now the head of the Sanhedrin. He's the head of Rome. He's the head of everywhere. So now he ain't being crucified. So he could have taken that out. But he didn't. He didn't. Jesus could, I mean, Jesus himself said, I could call down 12 legion of angels when they came to take him to lead him off to the suffering. 
But he didn't. What was going on in him as the Son of Man that he didn't? And that's my whole point. Even if he didn't come to save the world, even if he didn't come to save his people from their sin, even if he just came as an individual not having authority over all flesh, he came in the likeness of you and me, but also still coming from above, having no authority over all flesh, he still would have said the same thing. Why? He came to reveal the Father. Amen. Amen? Jesus goes on to say why he didn't call down 12 legions. He says, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. That's his wisdom. So I could call down this. He could have defended himself to Pontius Pilate, couldn't he? I mean, Pilate was itching to let him go. Pilate wanted, I mean, listen, you, you could argue with me, but I think most of us would agree that Pilate wanted to let him go. You, you know that feeling you get in your stomach? Like, Pilate's like, normally I feel excited about crucifying somebody, you know? That's what we like to do here in Rome. But listen, I'm not getting a warm feeling about this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so Pilate wanted to let him go, but Jesus didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb being led away to the slaughter. This is what messes people up, because normally I'm just trying to point out our thinking. And it's not that we can't think about it this way, but we need to have this and that. Right? There's like a funny Seinfeld episode where Jerry and Elaine are dating, right? And they like dating, but they didn't want their dating to end the friendship because they really liked the friendship. And, you know, a lot of times if you start dating, that destroys the friendship, right? Because what happens when it goes sideways, right? And I mean, most of the time it's going to go sideways. It destroys the friendship. And Jerry and Elaine are talking about how, how can we have this and that? We need this, but also that, right? So it isn't just Jesus as the Messiah not speaking up. That's Jesus, the Son of Man, that also had something working in him where he didn't feel to defend himself or try to keep himself from the cross. Why? Why is that going on inside of him as the Son of Man? You see, a big part of the cross is bringing all of that out in the open so we could see it. In us seeing it, we could start having intimacy with it, communing with it, becoming one with it, being massaged by it, being joined together with the very thing that was inside of his heart, where we could start finding ourselves growing in the wisdom and stature of sonship. Right? Because listen, whatever it is that, that led Jesus the Son of Man, to the cross, whatever it is that kept them from trying to come down, that's what brought forth resurrection life in Him. That's what caused the resurrection to manifest in Him. That's what did it. In, in fact, what I would want to say is Jesus' own life was built on the foundation of what was revealed at the cross. His whole life was built on the foundation of what was revealed at the cross. And that's what gave him intimacy with the life that can even raise the dead. Right? So the thing that led him to the cross was revealed at the cross. And then it was seen that what led him to the cross and was revealed at the cross produces a life that overcomes death. Right? Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. If so be that we suffer with him. Now, does that mean if so be that you get nailed to a cross too? That's not what it means. 
So what does it mean? I mean, you guys see right there that Paul kind of lays out this thing where he says that the way we're going to be glorified together with him is if we suffer with him. What produces the glorification? If we suffer with him. Where did he suffer? At the cross. So what produces glorification? For us to partake with him in whatever was going on in him at the cross. That's what produces the glorification. That's what Paul says there. So Jesus was glorified by the life he shared with the Father. That's what it means that Jesus was glorified. When you're thinking about what does it mean to be glorified together with him. The Father has life in himself, and he's the only one who has immortality in himself. He's the only self-existent one. God is the only immortal. God is the only self-existent one. That's his glory. That's why he's glorious. Right? I, I tell you, the, the glory increases as the rarity of what you have is seen. And since he's the only immortal, he's the only self-existent one, that's glorious. Do you see what I'm saying? You can't find it anywhere else. So that thing shines a bit. And so the glory of Jesus is that he was glorified by the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. And Paul says we partake in this glory with him if we suffer with him. What does that mean? I tell you what we think, what, what, what religion will say that it means. But, but, but Paul isn't saying, if you can suffer in this world, then that's the power to you being glorified. That's not what he's saying. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to believe on Jesus for eternal life. You could just be born into this earth and have hard times. We all know we're going to encounter tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So in this world, you're going to experience tribulation. But I promise you, Paul's not saying the power to be glorified with Jesus is to experience tribulation. No. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying if you can now get it right to go and have some hard times yourself, those hard times will now be the power for you to be glorified. That's not what he's saying. But he's talking about Jesus suffering and he's pointing to something inside of that dude's suffering that he says produces glorification. And that's the same thing that led Jesus to the cross. Jesus' mind was also filled with glorification and where glorification was found and where glorification was not found. And the thing he believed about where glorification was found is what led him to the cross. It's what led him not to call down 12 legions. It's what led him not to open his mouth. It's what led him not to take the kingdoms of this world because what good is it I gain the kingdoms of this world when they can't glorify me? That's right. What good is it I keep myself from the cross when keeping myself from the cross can't glorify me? In Philippians 3, Paul says he wanted fellowship. He said he wanted his fellowship to be with the sufferings of Jesus. Not his own sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. And if you go back and read in Romans, in fact, it says that if so be that we suffer with him. How are we going to suffer with him? He suffered on the cross over 2,000 years ago. So how are we now going to suffer with him? It doesn't say suffer like him. It says suffer with him. Be with him in his sufferings where he was at. Paul prayed that he would have fellowship with his suffering. Be made conformable to his own death? No, to the death of Jesus. And he said that having fellowship with his sufferings, not fellowship with your own sufferings, suffering in this world, emotional turmoil in this world is not the power unto the resurrection. Otherwise, everybody from beginning with Adam would have come out of the grave. Because everybody beginning with Adam has suffered in this world, both emotionally and physically. And so if that's what Paul was talking about, everybody would be walking around glorified. All people. Paul is trying to lay out the foundation from which even the Lord Jesus' life was brought forth. 
the foundation from where even the Lord Jesus' life was built upon. He's trying to lay out the, the foundation from where a person could be intimate with the power of the resurrection. And that's why in Philippians 3, he says he wanted fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus. Not his own sufferings, the sufferings of Jesus. Right? And so what's going on? You see, all those thoughts, you see, you spin these thoughts, the fellowship of his sufferings. There's something going on there that actually causes a person to be intimate with the resurrection, that actually causes a person's life to come forth in the power of God, in the power of immortality, in the power of an incorruptible seed. There's something going on there that actually produces that in us. Well, what we've seen there is just that this guy's suffering was great. Let me get as far away from that as I can because I don't want to suffer. I want life. But the contradiction, the foolishness that's to the world is that within that suffering is the thing that produces the life. And as you see it going on, it's meant to draw you to the cross. To where you start having, we talked about prayer, where you start praying with the Lord Jesus. And what I mean by praying with the Lord Jesus, you start having communion and intimacy with what was in his heart, what he believed as he's there suffering. That's the power that produces life. You see what I'm saying? Scripture says, it doesn't say you partake with Him in His sufferings by you now having your own hard times. Because it goes on to describe the fellowship of His sufferings as being made conformable to His death. Whose death? His death. What is it that caused him to die? Why didn't he open his mouth? Why didn't he call down 12 legions? Why didn't he take the kingdoms of this world? What is it that even resulted in this dude dying? Why didn't he come down off the cross? Why didn't he? That's the thing Paul says he wants to be intimate with. Because he sees that that thing brought forth the life in the Christ that even overcomes death in the flesh and death in the world. And he says, that's the thing that I've been intimate with. That's the thing I've been busy with. He called it the faith of the Son of God. Yeah. And he said, that faith that was in the Son of God's heart when he was suffering on the cross, that faith has animated me now with the life of Christ. See, we only look at the life you're going to end up laboring to have the life and judging yourself if you don't have the life. But if you start looking at what produces the life, that will keep you from laboring to have the life because you'll see what produces the life is for you to rest in the Father's ability to give you the life. And you'll also see that the world can't give you life if you look at the one who's nailed to a tree. It will keep you. It will keep you from judging yourself by the death you see. It will keep you from thinking that things in the world can give you life. It will keep you from trying to clothe yourself with the life you see in the resurrection through the things in the world. Because you can look at the life of the resurrection and you can think it's beautiful, but if you don't see that you can't find it in anything in the world, what will happen is, is you'll try to satisfy your desire through the things in the world. And you'll find yourself opening your mouth to defend yourself. You'll find yourself picking up the sword to fight the people that you think can take your life. You'll find yourself doing all these things to preserve your own life if you don't have intimacy with his sufferings. Right? So the scripture says, you partake with Jesus in his sufferings through being made conformable to his death. Everybody ought to go away asking themselves that with God. You say, what's prayer? Hey, man, in this context, you can ask God. What does it mean to be made conformable to his death? What does that mean? What does that look like, Lord? That statement sounds otherworldly, heavenly, but I'm not sure my head's been wrapped around it. Minister that to me, Lord. I want to be made conformable to his death, but I don't even understand what that means. Father, I see you poured out your Holy Spirit to intercede in my heart, to give me intimacy with his sufferings on the cross so that I could be made conformable to his death. Father, let your spirit have its will in me. So how are we made conformable to his death? 
What does that look like? Do you know Philippians 2? Says Jesus was made obedient even unto the death of the cross. He was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Now I just want to expose some of our silly ways of thinking. And there's nothing wrong with simplicity. Simplicity is good. It's just the world has complicated that which is simple. And now it can seem complicated trying to unravel all the things the world has come and said. But when it says Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, what it's saying is he believed in something so much that not even the threat of dying on the cross could turn him away from that. It's not saying that Jesus was ordered to die, and so he did. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus believed something so much. He was so persuaded by something he saw in God. He was so persuaded by the faith he saw in God. Because remember, the word faith means to persuade someone else of something. And so to be obedient to faith would be to be, allow yourself to be persuaded by what faith says. And so Jesus was so persuaded by what he saw about God in the power unto life, and the power to be saved from death. He was so persuaded by what he saw that not even the threat of the death of the cross, not even the sufferings that this world could serve him, none of that could even keep him from his persuasion. None of that could even come and change it. Like you and I might stand up here very convicted and say, I believe this and nobody can move me from it. Well, if somebody came up here and said, we're about to nail you to a cross unless you change your mind. A whole lot of us might cry uncle. Right? We might say, well, heck, man, I'll let that go. You're going to nail me to a tree and flog me to death? All right, whatever you say. But what Paul is saying about Jesus is that not even the death of the cross or the threat of the death of the cross could change what he believed and what he was persuaded of. Do you see the dynamic there? What Jesus was persuaded of kept him from trying to come down off the cross. There was something going on in that dude as he was suffering that kept him from coming down off the cross. He believed something. He believed something to be so true while he was on the cross that it actually kept him there. It actually put him to rest. It's not a keeping where you will stay on the cross. It's like something that happens to you where you even go to rest in the midst of even the contradiction of the cross. Which, how does that even happen? Do you see what I'm saying? So not even the death of the cross could change his mind. Right? And if you want to look at it real simply, you could say not even the death of the cross could convince Jesus that if he came down off the cross, he could have life then. Not even the death of the cross could convince Jesus if he could avoid the cross, then he would have life. That the power to have life is to avoid the sufferings of the cross. Not even the suffering he experienced on the cross could convince him that if he could avoid this suffering, then he would have life. Because that's what the death would try to tell you, isn't it? Wouldn't the death try to convince you that the power to have life is to get away from this death? Isn't that what it's trying to tell you? It's trying to tell you, take up your own life. Pick up the sword. That's how you'll have life. Call down 12 legions. That's how you'll have life. But Jesus was so persuaded that not even avoiding the suffering of death could give him life that he stayed there. You see, because he grew in wisdom and stature. His senses were exercised to discern the difference between evil and good. His senses were exercised to discern the power that could give life and the power that could not give life. And he was so persuaded by where the power to have life actually came from that not even death could compel him to think, if I can just get away from the suffering, then I'll have life. Not even death could change his mind about the power to have life. And I promise you, if all of us are nailed to a cross, do you know what the first thought we'd have about how to be saved from the suffering? Get down from the cross! And in fact, Harvey's a smart guy. Harvey will come in. Guys, forget about get down after you get there. Let's avoid even getting there. And we'll be like, yes. But why would we be saying those things? Why would we be doing those things? Because we would be thinking that the power to have life is found in avoiding the cross. But Jesus didn't think the power to have life was found in avoiding the cross. 
That's why he didn't try to avoid it. And what was it in him that made him think that? You see what I'm saying? He was obedient to the truth. Paul would come and say it in a different way. When it says Jesus was obedient even unto death, even unto the death of the cross, Paul would describe that as his apostleship was given for obedience to the faith. And so when you could say Jesus was obedient even unto the death of the cross, you could say Jesus was obedient unto the faith. Right? Even in the light of death coming upon him on the cross, his obedience was still to the faith. He was still persuaded by the faith even when death came upon him. And so what that means is, is Jesus was obedient to the truth. And obedience just means you believe it's true. You've been thoroughly persuaded. And what, made, what Jesus was obedient to, what he was thoroughly persuaded of, is that the power to partake of life is of God in his goodness, not the strength I can see in my flesh or the strength I can see the world has. You see, because when he come in now for Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world, you could think the power to have the kind of life you want is if you could rule the world. That's a reasonable thought. If I rule the world, there's songs where people are even dreaming of wanting to rule the world. Why do you even think they want to rule the world to begin with? Because they think there's something wrong that's hurting their life, and if they could rule the world, they would make it all right, and thus their life could be made straight. But Jesus said the strength in the world, all the kingdoms combined, even if I get all those kingdoms together, and even if I rule all those kingdoms, the strength that can be contained in that kind of a thing cannot give me life. That's why he didn't take the kingdoms. It wasn't like, man, that is tempting. You know, we think of tempting as um, having the thought that I should do it. <laughs> That's not what tempting means. Because Jesus said, if you thought you should do it, you've already done it. <laughs> and so Jesus didn't want the kingdoms. You know why he didn't want the kingdoms? Because he saw the strength contained in all the kingdoms of the world, even should you gather all their power, all their might, all their strength, all their nobility, all their wisdom, all their philosophers, all their magicians, even should you gather it all and mix it into one and harness all the power and strength that they have, that can't give me life. Opening my mouth and saving myself from Pontius Pilate can't give me life. Calling down 12 legions can't give me life. Picking up the sword to try to preserve my life can't give me life. All those things are a progression of Jesus not saving himself from the death of the cross. And why didn't he want to save himself from the death of the cross? Because he knew that's where he would be intimate with the power of the resurrection. Intimacy with the resurrection life is found and laying down the life you have in the world. Which means that you count all the strength. You count all the strength that you could gain from the world. All the strength you could gain from everything going right in your life and in your government and in the world. You count all the strength that those things could produce to give you life. You count it as dung. And because you count it as dung, you lay it down. And when you lay it down, that's the power from you having intimacy with the resurrection life. You can't have two masters. You can't call the world father and call God father. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll despise the other and love the one. Isn't Jesus called God father on the cross? You see, he was laying down the life he had from the world. That can't father life. That's why he laid it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? I'm telling you, we're busy trying to instruct the Lord all the time. You know how many times I was trying to instruct the Lord? Lord, just heal my foot so I can go win these gold medals and break world records and get on the box of Wheaties, and then my ministry will go forth. And then I will declare your glory. All the while, you know what I'm telling the Lord? I'll declare my own glory, and that will be your ministry. You see how I'm trying to instruct him? 
Like, I know the power unto glorification. Do you see my thinking there? The power unto glorification is the strength in the world. And in me reaching my full potential as a human being. Whatever you want to describe as the full potential of a human being, if it doesn't end in glorified immortal flesh, then your explanation is temporal, it's earthy, it doesn't come from above. The full potential of a human being isn't if they can maximize their talents in the world. The full potential of a human being is to find the fullness of the Godhead manifesting in them bodily, where their flesh is glorified with immortality. That's the full potential of every human being. There's no higher mark of potential than shining with the Father Himself. Right? We try to instruct the Lord about what we need to have peace. Back to the prayer. That's why so many of our prayers are about circumstances. Because we're busy thinking we need to instruct this dude about what we need to have peace. <laughs> He's like, but I gave you the mind of Christ. Who, when he was nailed to a tree, didn't think the power to have peace and love and joy was found in getting off the tree. And we're trying to instruct him, but he has given us the mind of Christ. So who hath, who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? That's 1 Corinthians 2. It says we have the mind of Christ. Do you know the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 is the cross? That's the whole context there. It's the, con the cross is the context and the wisdom that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. That's the context. The mind of Christ isn't just talking about, I have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is talking about, what was this dude thinking when he was nailed to a tree? What wisdom was in him on the tree? How did he discern the cross? How did he discern what was happening to him? How did he discern the power unto having life? How did he discern the power to be filled with peace and love and joy when he was on the cross? What was the wisdom working in him? That's the mind of Christ. It's a very specific thing. What was going on in that dude when he was nailed to a cross? What was he thinking? Because that's the foundation from where the resurrection manifested in him. You guys realize that, right? cross jesus is believing something on the cross the next thing we know this dude has been raised from the dead never to die again you think that would cause us to pay more careful heed to what was happening in him when he was suffering on the cross you think that would cause us to be like wait a second this dude is like that but he was just like that what was going on there you, you think that's what would happen that's what's supposed to happen Actually, that's what happened to Paul when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Because his last reference point was Jesus for him to be nailed to a tree. And so this dude went from being nailed to a cross to now being glorified with immortality. What was going on on that tree? And now you start looking at that. And Paul begins all his ministry talking about that. And he begins his letter to the Corinthians, laying that whole thing out. He said, I purpose to know nothing in your midst, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because he saw that there was something going on in Jesus when he was being crucified that raised him up from the dead never to die again. And so that's the only thing he purposed to know because he saw that's the power of God to manifest life in people. So that's what he came talking about. Right? If you go back to the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, before Paul says, he desires to know Jesus and the fellowship of Jesus' suffering so he can be made conformable to Jesus' death. You know what he says in chapter 2 right before he says that? Right before he goes into the long tirade about how he was uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of De Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. He, so he goes into the strength that was in his flesh. That's the strength that could be seen in his flesh. And then he goes into all the honor he had from the world. That was the strength that could be seen in the world. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. Of the righteousness of the law, blameless. He's going into all the honor, right? And then he says he counts it all dung. He counts it all as worthless. Well, right before he gets into all of that in chapter 3, if you go back to chapter 2, do you know what he says? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about the mind that was in Christ Jesus when Christ Jesus was on the cross. 
And when Christ Jesus was on the cross, what was in his mind? Because whatever it was in his mind, he was so persuaded of it that he didn't even try and come down off the cross. It says he humbled himself. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. When? When he was on the cross. This is the Pauline revelation. The mind that was in Christ Jesus when Christ Jesus was on the cross was born in Paul. That's why he was animated with the life of Christ. If you don't have the wisdom that was in Christ when he was on the cross, how are you going to be a partaker of the life that manifested in Christ? You're not. So Paul had the mind of Christ. Paul was living by the same wisdom Jesus lived by as Jesus was suffering on the cross. Paul saw the strength that could be seen in his flesh when he said, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. That means everything you should see in my flesh to believe that my flesh is holy is there. Powerful what can be seen there. I mean, we still even have Christians trusting in the strength of the flesh because we think that Israel after the flesh is more blessed than Gentiles after the flesh. The whole point is, is the power to be blessed has nothing to do with your flesh or the strength that can be seen thereof. That's the whole mind that was in Christ when he was hanging on the cross. He looked at the strength that could be seen in his body as he's dying on the cross or rather the weakness that was seen in his body as he was dying on the cross. And he saw according to the world, he was the weakest that have ever lived. He saw according to the world, he was the least noble that had ever lived. He saw according to the world that he was the most unwise rabbi that had ever lived because he didn't even have any followers there at the cross with him. He saw all those things. And do you know what it says that, that Jesus would have concluded about all that? Because we see Paul unwrapping the mind of Christ in all of his letters. The only reason why Paul counted all the strength he saw in himself as dung is because he saw Jesus count the strength that could be seen in the flesh as dung also first on the cross. And what does it mean that it's dung? It means that it has no power to produce life in you. That's what it means that it's dung. So if Jesus could have avoided looking weak on the cross, and if he could have dressed himself up in one of the purple Pharisee outfits, if he could have even become the high priest in the Pharisaical system, Jesus judged that that was worthless to be able to give him life. That's what he judged. And so Paul saw the same thing. He saw the strength that he had from being a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He, thought, he saw he had the best seats. He saw that people esteemed him. He had all the honor that comes from man. He could even go get a letter and immediately start imprisoning all the Christians. He had all the honor that comes from the world. But what does the scripture say? It says Paul counted those things as dung. Counted the strength of the world and the strength that could be seen in himself, in his flesh, he counted it as dung. That means he saw, this can't make me a partaker with God in his life. This can't actually produce life. The power to partake of life is not found in those things. Paul started seeing the power to partake of life is like foolishness to the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world says you got to avoid suffering in order to have life. But Paul saw something else in Jesus where he saw that the power to partake of life was to partake with Jesus in what was going on in him when he was suffering. And then the mind that was in Jesus when he was on the cross was born inside of Paul. And Paul also began counting everything he could gain from the world as dung. Whereas before Paul thought, I'm going to be the high priest. I'm going to rise up the system. I'm going to exalt myself. Now he counts all that as dung, right? You guys following that? Hebrews 5, 7. We just gloss over these things. This is talking about Jesus. Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Does that sound like suffering? 
Okay, do you see what it's trying to tell us? What was going on in this dude when he was suffering? That's what it's trying to say. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. That's talking about the sufferings of Jesus. And like I said before, the sufferings of Jesus isn't only that he felt discomfort and angst on the cross. If that's all you think, I'm going to tell you what the subconscious mind will do with that. It will exalt the power of pain and suffering and angst. That's what it will do. But Jesus believed there was something greater than the power of pain and suffering and angst. He did. He believed there was something greater than that. And if all we think about the sufferings of Jesus is that the, the physical pain and the angst was so great, if that's all we think about, our hearts are going to exalt the power of sin to cause pain and suffering above the power of faith to produce the life of God in us. When Jesus was in that place, suffering with strong tears. I mean, you can go read what happened to the dude. That's suffering. The man was suffering. But when he was in that place, he saw there's something greater than this. There's something more powerful than this. There's something that possesses a power to produce life that's even greater than the power of death to produce suffering. And he began thinking on that. And he began twisting on that. And that's where the Scripture would come and say, he looked to the one who could save him. And in that he feared. That's what it means that he feared. He saw that the power to have life was found in God and not in the strength or the weakness he saw in himself. And because he saw the power was of God and not of what he saw in his own body or what he saw in the world, he looked to God. That's he feared. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. I'm just trying to help you guys connect the dots to the Pauline thought. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2. For I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We just talked about how Jesus looked to the one who could save Him and He was heard because He feared. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Where do you think he got the weakness and the fear and the much trembling from? What did it say about Jesus when he was on the cross and he was suffering? It says he feared. What was the fear? He made nothing of the strength he had in himself or the weakness that was manifested in himself. He thought nothing about that or the strength that was in the world. He thought everything about the life God has in himself. That's what he thought. Jesus was filled with weakness and in trembling and much fear on the cross. Paul comes and says, I see the mind of Christ. That mind's been born in me and I purpose to know nothing in your midst save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also was in your presence in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in awe of the power of God to produce life, thinking nothing of the strength of the flesh to produce life. That's what he says. And he says, the reason why I was with you that way, and the reason why we're supposed to be intimate with the sufferings of Jesus, is that our faith would stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man. Which the wisdom of man we already talked about. Dude, if you want to, if you want to, Overcome suffering, just avoid it altogether. Just, just avoid it. That's the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man is, well, the way you're going to have life is by avoiding death. Duh. And the way man says you're going to avoid death is you're going to use your own strength to exalt yourself unto life. You're going to use your own strength to overcome death. You're going to gather all the goodness in the world. And in you doing that, you'll be able to stand up on top of that. And that will become like the Tower of Babel for you. And now you could stand above any kind of flood that would come to try to destroy your life. So Jesus looked to the one that could save him. Why? 
Notice he didn't say Jesus looked to getting down off the cross to save him. It doesn't say that. Jesus looked to avoid the suffering to save him. It doesn't say that. That means Jesus doesn't think salvation is found in avoiding the cross or avoiding the suffering. Salvation is found in the Father. And so Jesus, when he was on the cross, the reason he feared, which means to look to the Father, is because he saw the Father has life in himself. And he saw that the power to see the, the Father's life manifest in him was found in the Father and not in the kingdoms of this world, nor in the strength that can be seen in a man. And what you could almost say is, is Jesus was naked and unashamed on the cross. It says he disesteemed the shame of the cross. Well, what, what kind of shame would try to come upon you on the cross? The shame that would try to come upon you on the cross is that you don't have life. Look at your weakness. Look how despicable you are. Look how rejected you are. But listen, man, none of those things can make you ashamed if you don't think any of those things are the power to have life. And so Jesus was kind of like the first man, Adam, before he fell. He was naked and unashamed. He was unashamed on the cross. Because he saw, not even if I was off this cross, would that be the power unto have life. So what am I ashamed of that I don't have any of that? None of that can give me life anyway. <laughs> Do you guys see that? You want to come and try and point at me and make me ashamed because of this body of death? Well, saving myself from this body of death can't clothe me with life anyway. So what am I ashamed for that my nakedness is now uncovered? The power to be clothed upon isn't found in avoiding this cross. The power to be clothed upon is found in the Father. And so that he's looking to the Father. Right? What shame in there is not what shame is there in not having what the world calls strength when you see that all the strength the world can muster up in all of its beauty is dung? What shame is there in, in, to be found in not having dung? Do you see? You guys are the cross is trying to compel me to feel ashamed, right? But what shame is there found in not having? What the world says is strength when it's really just done. There's no shame there. And so Jesus didn't want the kingdoms of the world. Why? Why didn't he want the kingdoms of the world? You know, I don't want the kingdoms of the world. If everybody came together and decided I was a righteous kind of guy, and they all decided that we need to make you the president of the United States, and you could get some things done, do you know what I would say? I don't want nothing to do with that. And it ain't because of the trouble. I promise you, I've had more trouble just preaching the gospel. It's got nothing to do with the trouble. It's that I would count that as being done towards the end of producing life in me or anywhere else. Jesus didn't want it. He didn't believe the, 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 pop, the strength contained in the kings of the world could do anything for him. <clears throat> Jesus' faith was in the power of God and not the strength of the flesh. That's what was in his heart. He saw the power to partake of life was of God and not whether or not he saw strength or weakness manifesting in his life. And you see Paul say something similar when he would come and say, when he learned from Jesus that when I'm weak, then am I strong. Why would I despise feeling weak or looking weak when I know that the power is of God and not of myself? Do you see the difference? You only despise yourself for not looking strong or for looking weak if you think the power is of yourself. <laughs> if you don't think the power is of yourself, well, what shame in there in being weak? And Paul comes and says, I wasn't ashamed to stand in your midst and to tell you that I'm nothing. Because my fear and my trembling was before God and His ability to produce life. So I come and stood before you in all meekness, thinking nothing of my own strength, placing no confidence in the flesh, he would come and say. <clears throat> hmm. 
So when Paul says his intimacy was with the sufferings of Jesus, it goes back to what he said in Corinthians, when I was with you in weakness and in much fear and in much trembling. And that is a direct connection to what it says about Jesus when he was suffering on the cross, and it says that he was heard and that he feared. And so just as Jesus feared, Paul feared. And what that means is, is his intimacy was with the sufferings of Jesus. Just as Jesus' faith was in the power of the life he shared with the Father from the beginning and not the strength of the flesh, Paul's faith was in the power of God to manifest life in him. Paul's faith was in the power of God, not the wisdom of man. Paul counted the treasures of this world, the honor that comes from man, he counted it as dung towards the end of helping him partake of life. He said, all of those things, even should I get them, they can't help me partake of life. Paul saw the wisdom of Christ on the cross. And just as Hebrews says, Jesus looked to the one who saved him, Paul was living by the faith of the Son of God. He was also looking to the one who could save him. He saw the power to partake of life. He saw the power to be raised from the dead. He saw the power to overcome death in the flesh was of God and God's doing, not the strength that can be seen in a man. And that's the foundation his life was built on. That's the only foundation that brings forth life in people. That's the foundation from where we see the resurrected Jesus come forth. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says he lives the life he has now in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, I saw that when this guy was suffering, he feared God. Meaning, the suffering wasn't exalted in his heart, the weakness wasn't exalted in his heart, but God was exalted in his heart because God has a life that is greater than suffering and greater than death in the flesh. And Paul began living by that faith. And when you walk in the world living by the faith that there's something stronger than death, there's something more powerful than pain and suffering, there's something greater than sin's ability to cause you suffering, there's a faith that can produce a peace that's greater than torment. There's a faith that can produce a love that's greater than fear. When Paul began living in this world looking at that, he lived in the world by the power of a life that superabounds over death. It was the resurrected Christ that was living in him. But the resurrected Christ was only able to live in him because he had fellowship with his suffering first. And it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't like, well, I see it now and that's it. Every single day. He said he lived by the faith. He said, I live by this faith. That means every single day he was fellowshipping with the sufferings of Jesus on the cross so that he might have intimacy with the power of his resurrection. That's why he would say, I am crucified with Christ. Intimacy with the sufferings of Jesus. Right? You guys see that? The cross is the foundation. That's the, the foundation Paul laid. Like a wise master builder, he said. Jesus' own life was built on the cross. The foundation of the cross. That's the foundation. The reason the cross is the foundation from where we partake of life is because the cross declares the power to partake of life is of God's doing, not the strength of the flesh, not the strength that's of the world. And we needed the wisdom of the world to be made foolish in our sight. Jesus' life was built on the knowing that the wisdom of the world is foolish. That the wisdom that says you could have life by looking strong in the flesh, by looking noble in the flesh, by looking wise according to the flesh. Jesus saw that wisdom is foolishness and it can't produce anything in you. And that wisdom that was in Jesus led him to the cross where he laid down the life he had from the world. He counted what he could gain from the world as dung. And that's the foundation from where he was intimate with the power of the resurrection. Right? And so Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus being raised from the dead, and the truth that he was raised from the dead, it's supposed to cause us to pay more careful heed to what was going on when he was suffering. That's what it's supposed to do. What? Well, that looks nice. How did that happen? Wait a second. He was just nailed. What was going on with the tree? And then you go to the tree, 
And what happens to you is you start having intimacy with his sufferings, the faith that was in his heart when he was suffering. What happens is, is you start becoming crucified with Christ, meaning you become dead to the life that's of the world. You're no longer calling the world father. You're no longer thinking the world can father life in you. But now you're looking to God as the only one who has life in himself. And next thing you know, what happens is you're intimate with the power of the resurrection. Right? It's what's going on at the cross that caused Jesus to endure. It's what's going on at the cross that caused him to be intimate with the resurrection. Jesus says in Matthew that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who teaches the way to inherit the kingdom and then demonstrates it's true. And he was talking about rabbi when he said that. You know how Jesus demonstrated he was the greatest rabbi that ever lived? He told us, that the power to inherit life was found in God's righteousness to produce life in you. It wasn't found in your own righteousness to produce life. And then Jesus demonstrated that he really did believe that on the cross. And then he demonstrated that it wasn't a theory. He wasn't taking a position to argue intellectually. He was taking that position because he saw that's the power unto life. And then he proved what he taught was true because he came out of the grave and glorified immortal flesh. But the teaching happens at the cross. That's the rabbi. Jesus is being rabbi. His doctrine is being uncovered on the cross. This is the wisdom of the Christ. And so the resurrection is the evidence that the faith revealed in Jesus on the cross is the power of God to manifest life. Do you know how it's the evidence? Because we see the faith that was in Jesus produced this. And now we see this, and we see that's the evidence this is true. Do you see? What good is it Jesus come and say, well, the power to have life is to call upon the name of the Father, but then we never see him come out of the grave. And now the resurrection comes and proves that this faith that we're preaching is true. We're not just preaching it because we think it sounds nice. We're not just preaching it to take a position. We're not trying to gain followers. We're not trying to gain disciples. We're not trying to build a ministry. We're not trying to build a kingdom. We're not trying to clothe ourselves with honor and esteem. We're not trying to clothe ourselves with anything. We're preaching it because we see that what was in him on the cross produced this life that overcomes death in the flesh and that can never die again. That's why we're preaching it. That's why our preaching would be in vain if there was no resurrection because we'd have no evidence that what we're saying is even true. So you want to come and tell me why I'm believing on the wisdom that was in the Son of Man when he was nailed to a tree? Because I see it produced this resurrection life in him. That's why I'm doing it. And that's why Paul would say, if he wasn't raised from the dead, the wisdom we're preaching is in vain. Because the reason we're preaching this is because it produced that. If you come and say it didn't produce that, then what are we saying this for? You just ask yourself, what was Jesus believing that produced the resurrection? And it's back to what would Jesus do? Forget about that. What did Jesus believe? Because I promise you, he came into the earth, he was fully persuaded, what he believed manifested in the earth. That was so we could have the mind of Christ. So then we could start engaging with God about what did Jesus believe? Because I see it produced this glorious life. Right? And the two things start working closely together. What I even want to say is, I, I mean, if I had to be honest, I think it's foolishness to try to separate the two. I think they're one. Because I think Jesus even had a reference point for what life looked like. And that's what helped him to see the world couldn't give him that life. Right? And so you actually find the two things so closely related that it's, it's like you can't separate the heart of the Father from His life either, right? You can't separate the faith of the Father from His life. They're one and the same. And so you, to try to separate the cross from the resurrection is like trying to separate God Himself, right? They, they feed into each other. 
right? Does that make sense? Do you guys understand the fellowship of his sufferings? Don't think of the fellowship of pain. Think of fellowship with the faith that was in his heart when he was on the cross. Because he, and I'll probably pick up the new year with how the world worships death. And even in Christianity, if I'm being honest, we think the power of pain and suffering is greater than the power of the fruit of the Spirit. We're so afraid of dying or getting something or something bad happening. And it's because we haven't been intimate with the sufferings of Jesus, where Jesus, it's not like Jesus was like, yay, let's have a parade. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. It's not like there wasn't like discomfort. But Jesus believed that the power of faith to produce peace in him was greater than the power of death to produce anxiety in him. He, he believed the power that was in God and the life that God has in himself. He believed that the power there, that power to produce peace in him was greater than the power of sin to bring him pain through death. And that's what he was fellowshipping with on the cross. Right? He didn't start twisting on the negativity and the pain. He began twisting on the life that is greater than death. Right? And then he began twisting on, well, where does that life come from? What has the power to give me that life? Well, even should I fight and come down off the cross, that still won't give me the life. So why would I do that? Why would I try to come down off the cross? It can't give me what I want. You see, it's from that place that he was raised from the dead. It was from that place he gave up the ghost. It was from that place he boldly declared, the world is not my father. The world can't give me life. That's why he gave up the ghost, right? His treasure was the father. And how great was the light that he was animated with when his treasure was the father, right? I mean, the dude was animated with some light, right? I mean, he comes out of the grave, glorified, immortal, never to die again, having swiftly overcome death, right? So ask yourselves that. What was in this dude's heart? Ask the Holy Spirit. I promise you the Holy Spirit was poured out to minister this to you. The Holy Spirit's also called the Spirit of the Son. And what he's trying to minister to you is the faith that was in the Son's heart when he was suffering because it was in that place that the Son believed that the Father has life in Himself, and the world does not have life in itself. Right? Here comes the King of Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for pouring Your life out onto us in Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for pouring out Your life onto us through Your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit is dwelling in our hearts all the time, working the sufferings of Jesus in our heart, all the time working the faith of the Son of God in our heart. Just thank you, Lord, that uh, your Spirit is causing us to have intimacy with the wisdom revealed at the cross so that we might be partakers in the power of the resurrection, not just in the world to come, but now and in the world to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus.